This is episode number 76 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm your host for this evening. Well, one of them, Rob. And I'm Corey, the other host. (laughs) We bring you the latest and greatest internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. We've got a great lineup of things to talk about tonight, but before we get into it, we like to talk about what we're drinking again to get in the mood to bring you the latest and greatest. I'm doing a Moscow Mule this time. I'm going back. Going back. Yeah, exactly. Every other episode, I have to go back old school. I have to go back to my roots. In that vein, I actually went back to OG Glenfiddich 15, probably on a quadruple neat at this point. Uh Boom. So it's going to be a great episode. But uh, speaking of the episode, why don't you kick us off? Well, before we get into that, my one switch up that I will give myself is that this is home-brewed ginger beer. This is not Gosling's Say this time. Unfortunately, my first crack at it, it's not as good. Got so, your Bill Nye the Science Guy? Yeah, exactly. It was pretty insane. Actually, pretty straightforward, but pretty scary because the bottle looks like it's going to blow up with all the uh, yeast or whatever you put in there to make it bubble. I guess I'll tweet out how I did that. Okay. I'll tweet yeah. out the recipe for that. Kick us off. What are the topics we're going to be All right. Topics through? for tonight. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Twitter. We talked a little bit about last week. A few updates from the Wall Street Journal. As everyone should be aware, fully aware, the day after this episode releases, Apple will be doing their grand announcement of the new iPhone 6. You're so excited. The new iOS 8. Well, I am excited because I just cracked my iPhone 5, so I need a new one. Whoops. So I want to talk about a little bit, and these were things that they released a long time ago, but I want to reinforce some of the new features of the phone that apply to us marketers. We have some things to talk about with small business advice on how do you find out what your proper ad spend is for a small business. I have a small case study from our friends at Marketing Experiments about being more direct in some of your marketing campaigns. And then finally, as always, it's not an episode of the Bearded Marketers without us talking about Google. We have a few updates from them. Let's get started. A few Twitter updates. I don't know how many people out there actually use Twitter on the regular outside of people in our industry. What would you consider the average Twitter user besides like a 16-year-old girl like or an internet marketing professional? Uh, I think you'd actually be surprised. I work in the sports industry. It's crazy popular in sports. A ton of people on it. They just like that immediacy, especially there's quite a few people I know that get on Twitter during games just to Mm -hmm. see kind of the live conversation. But additionally, the international presence is super strong on Twitter, which we've actually covered on the show before. But I think it's more diverse than people want to give it credit for. So I think it would shock kind of a lot of people. Well, it's one of the... I love advertising on there. I think there are a ton of people on there. But it's one of those things I don't think a lot of people talk about being on. And I think that may just be because it's, you know, it's supposed to be kind of an anonymous thing. Sure. You know, I create my own username. Anyway, I don't want to keep talking about that. A couple more updates about Twitter. They're going to be updating how their content feed works. Okay. So for those of you out there who aren't aware, basically pulls in, it's kind of like your Facebook feed pulls in whatever your friends are posting. They're going to start switching up the algorithm for how they select what types of things to put in your Twitter feed. So it won't just be everything from everyone that you follow. They're going to try to use some of these Facebook tweaks. So try to find popular content from Mm. the people you follow. They're also looking at bringing in content from people who people who you follow have liked or have retweeted or yeah, connections Uh of the, so the network of the, of the network of the people you like, if that makes any sense. Not only trying to serve you up relevant, but try to grow the network to grow those connections. Showing, hey, your friends like this, maybe you want to peep on these people. Yeah. There's been a little bit of outrage about that. I mean, some people sort of look at Twitter as like, look, I don't want to 
pay attention and all that other stuff. They're going to be souping up their search engine. I think it's actually kind of a bit of a pile right now. Maybe that's just me and, you know, me being used to Google. I don't use Bing, so I'm used to a good search engine. Another feature that they're going to be coming out with group chatting on Twitter. Okay. Think about how that's going to work. I can't envision it. But that's what's in talks right Why now coming from Twitter. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder I if know. that goes on your wall or there's quite a few questions I no, have around that. But they're trying to jump in on that whole What's WhatsApp yeah. and all that other Beat crap, uh, all that iMessage, trying to get in on some of that hot okay. hotness. So that's about it. I didn't want to talk too much about Twitter, but those are some new things that have come out. And that's, again, so I guess from the, the Wall takeaway from marketers is, and I think we've discussed this on the show before, I think a lot of social channels... Uh, oftentimes find themselves in the stale state and they start going away. You know, Facebook, you know, came into the state a while ago. Uh, and some of the ones, MySpace, we, you know, we can dig that back out of the grave. And I think that Twitter is trying to be a little bit more proactive to continue to show that iteration and growth. So as a marketer, that's good to see. Mm -hmm. And it means that they're trying to keep that viability and growth. And I know a lot of people were bitching about the connections with the friends feed, but I think that will help their ecosystem get even stronger and people self-discover more content to digest. It'll be a test for them on how a egregious and greedy they get with that. But uh, I do think that that's going to be a solid ad to help people get out of their own little ghetto that they create in Twitter and potentially yeah. start growing those connections. Well, a bit of a clarification there. So exactly how that works is it's favorites of people you follow, uh, but you only see it if, and I think this is limited to mobile apps, is if you pull the refresh twice and your second attempt to refresh has no new content over the first one, mm. then they'll pull in favorites. So it's really not that big of a deal. To me, that kind of makes, I guess, sense in a sort of way. You know, right. they don't want to just show nothing. So they'll pull in some related content that you might be interested in. So again, I don't want to talk too much about Twitter. Let's jump straight into the new iPhone. Everyone's excited about this. You secretly are, you just aren't showing it. <laughs> um, I Well, I should clarify, I am. Not because I'm a, an Apple user of an iPhone, but I think really any innovation is going to help push the industry forward. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what they have, even though I don't use an iPhone, and where that's going to push Android in the future and just everyone as a whole. Okay, so a couple things that I wanted to talk about. One, and this is, I wanted to mention it here, even though it's not directly related to iPhones, but for those app developers out there or those marketing departments who are in charge of trying to get more people to buy from their apps or whatever it is, iTunes is rolling out analytics through iTunes Connect. So now I'll, I'll be, believe that when I see it. I will be able to see how many people have looked at my app, like the mm -hmm. overview, how many sales I've gotten, how many installs, how many sessions, how many active individual devices, retention, stickiness, and app purchases, average sales. So tons of really cool metrics on how people are interacting with my app listing inside iTunes. Okay. Which wasn't previously available. So that's a cool little update. The other one is, and I think this is uh, more directly related to us as marketers. One of the features that a lot of marketers relied on for remarketing type things was basically grabbing iPhone users, and this is called an MAC Mac address, mm -hmm. from their iPhone to be able to no identify that user and use that information to remarket, mm -hmm. right? So if you've done something on my site with that device, I know when you come back, even though maybe you haven't logged in or anything you else like different that. different IP, right. whatever it is. Or you cleared cookies or anything, I still mm -hmm. know who you are. Apple is now getting rid of that. They will start anonymizing Mac addresses and they will be trying to force marketers to use what they're calling their iBeacon thing, which is uh, you know, an, an yeah. iPhone identifier, right. but which iPhone users have the ability to turn off. So which will not be 
turned off by default, though. Well, I don't know. <laughs> that but, would be my speculation. Right. So basically, Apple is trying to give a little bit more power to consumers over sure. how easy it is to track people on iPhones. So you think you're being sneaky and doing an incognito tab mm-hmm. in Chrome on your iPhone. They still know you. you're not because <laughs> they know who you are mm-hmm. and they're tracking you. So if you do a lot of mobile marketing and all that other you know stuff and you rely on some of that stuff for remarketing efforts, realize that that is going to be a big change and that's going to be coming out in the new iOS 8, which again will be coming out on the new iPhone 6s. And And Apple actually has a very high adoption rate. I was actually reading an article about that the other day within... A week or two, they had 60% adoption on the new yeah. version, like last rollout, which, you know, comparative to Android is embarrassing. But um, so... It's just too scattered. Even though that's a new feature, don't feel like you can rest on your laurels saying, yeah. well, you know, most people won't be getting that. Actually, it is quite a high adoption rate. So everyone's going to have their grubby little hands on iOS 8 as like within, you know, 36 hours of it being released. Okay. So tell us a little bit about small businesses. Okay. So this was actually spurred on one of our clients is changing up direction and you know we've been looking for some marketing roles to fulfill for them and you know I'm just it's been a while since I've been shopping for services as like a small business and you know I just wanted to have a, a small talk about proper attribution and how you market online so in particular this client they do lead gen online and they are looking to get leads in the door for people that are interested in their service. It is a more complex sale than just here is our pricing. Would you like to buy? Uh, there's a lot of conversation that needs to happen. There's some documentation, credit check, things like that. What I would really challenge for small businesses and medium-sized businesses out there is, is how are you tracking the user journey as people come onto your sites, potentially contact you for your service and then follow through to the ultimate sale. Because, you know, why this was spurred on is I'm talking to some of these PBC firms to take over some of these campaigns. And I would say a shocking amount of them when they talk about their client interactions and what they do for clients is just tracking when clients contact them. Well, that's really only part of the equation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the easy part. Yes, we know when people submit forms or maybe even call us. But as you as a business, are you understanding when I'm spending money with Google or Bing or I have ad placement somewhere else or my email marketing, the quality of people coming in? Because there's an aspect of understanding where we're spending money and the responses that are coming back from that. But how rich and valuable are those said responses? So it was really just more of a maybe almost a grandstand topic that I wanted to just remind businesses about and challenge, you know, how deep are you really tracking some of this stuff? Because with this particular client, what we do is not only track when people submit information and request a quote from us or call us, but we actually tie that back into our CRM to see how quality the leads are coming in. That information then gets brought back into AdWords offline. And then we use all of that information to make smarter ad choices when we're going out buying keywords that could be very expensive, Mm -hmm. but ensure that we're using that tight budget as much as possible. So if you're a small or medium-sized business, start to ask yourself these questions, or maybe you don't run these campaigns for yourself. Ask your own company, are we taking into consideration quality? And just because I'm talking about a lead gen example, you could easily 
easily transfer that to e-commerce or things like that when you're looking at lifetime of the customer, how much they're spending, not just that they bought something through us. Uh, There's a lot of things that you really need to look through when you're spending money online to make sure that you're doing it as smart as possible. And I know that we've worked a lot with other clients to understand attribution as well beyond just that initial click. There is this concept online that potentially we run ads on Google or an email campaign or we run ads somewhere and we expose people to our brand, but they might convert later on and understanding are you even tracking that or is it just a last in type of attribution? You know, I only track when people contact me or they buy something from me, that channel that drove that sale, which was maybe organic search or, or paid search in that instance. But are you actually tracking the full marketing efforts that went into that conversion? Now, sometimes that gets difficult when Apple tries to change up their strategy or when Google switches to secure and starts hiding some of this information. It can be difficult, but as a business, you really need to take a step back and and look at this 10,000 foot view on what are we doing online and what is the real impact of that all the way down to the micro conversion level, all the way down to the deep level of what's going on with my business so I can spend money as smartly as possible. Because competition can be extremely tough in certain industries. And again, the barrier to entry could be quite small. So that's your challenge for this week. What are you doing to track the full user journey, where your money's going? Is it being spent smartly? And are you actually looking at the full attribution of where all your monies are going on to market online? And is it being spent smartly? Yeah, well, I think there's two things with that. So one is the camp who sort of don't even realize this is a possibility because how is it possible to track via online marketing analytics packages what my customers are doing offline? They need to realize that that is a thing and that all the big boys are already doing it. And there's the other camp who think that, yeah, maybe that is a thing, but I don't have time for that or I don't have the money for that or, you know, to either pay someone to set it up or for the solutions that are required to make that happen and know that there are pretty reasonably priced solutions now at this point. I mean, apps and marketing and business and everything is sort of blown up in the last couple of years and things that used to be pretty complex. Now you can get in a $10 a month package sure. uh, that's really easy to integrate with all of these different low cost CRMs and, and do and have everything tracked across all channels and really have a good idea of what's going on. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point. I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed. Like I just don't have the time to manage that. But to your point, there's some really easy solutions out there. But also to your point of not having the money, you're trading one thing for another. You might not have the money for these services, but I would say 100% of the time when we go in and start deep diving into these items, the amount of money that you actually save easily recoups the cost of these tools. So one of our clients that I took on a while ago, we harped on him for a long time. You need to get a customer relationship management tool. You need to get a CRM. You need to track your leads coming in. Make sure that you have an idea of who has shown some interest foster those people, do some drip campaigns. It's always a hesitancy. I don't really have time. Those, you know, maybe cost five, six, seven hundred dollars a month. And then he finally did it. It took a long time of coaxing. And within the first month, the exact words out of his mouth was, you're right all along. And mm-hmm. again, some of these systems can be expensive, but you're already paying for the negative results that they can help fix. And oftentimes those vastly outweigh the cost of these tools, and you might surprise yourself how much money is actually leaking from your pocket. So maybe belabor that a little bit too long, but if you're a smaller, medium-sized business, again, take a look. Are you really tracking the full picture? I know that it's a lot to ask because it's really complex out there, but there are some good and easy tools out there 
There's a lot of Google Analytics integrations out there with some neat tools like CallRail that we talked about. Even things like MailChimp and some of the big CRMs now are all talking to one another. So creating this holistic sort of business reporting suite on what is really happening, what's this dashboard of what's happening in my world is getting easier. And it's something that you really need to pay attention to because if you don't, you're just going to be passed by everyone else that, yeah. that makes these changes. So something to pay attention to. So my favorite thing, being direct with people, yeah, maybe to a fault, Tell us why we should do this as marketers. In marketing, in life, and in love, be direct, even if it means you have no friends now. So this is, like I said in the intro, this is a blog post from our friends over at, friends in air quotes, over at Marketing Experiments, their blog. Title is Email Marketing Compliance-Related Re-Engagement Campaign Messaging Increases Conversion 49%. I was already asleep about halfway through Yeah, there's a lot of words in there. I know what they are, but I don't know what that sentence means. So let me break it down for you. So there have been freaking out about this new Canadian anti-spam law, which I think you have like a few years grace period starting now. a couple grand anyway. I mean, come on. Uh, and why market to Canadians at this point? <laughs> I don't need to drink I'm syrup. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. For all the Canadians listening out there, you forgive me. I know you will. You're Canadian. We love your poutine. Yeah. All right. So so they ran a re-engagement campaign for these Canadian people because I guess they didn't keep good track of where they signed up from and all of this sort of stuff. So the Canadian anti-spam law is pretty ridiculously intense. So they basically unsubbed everybody from Canada and sent out a re-engagement thing that says you're going to have to basically re-sign up for our list. So they ran two versions of this. One was basically the sort of classic, I guess you can consider, re-engagement campaign, which you would send out to people who maybe haven't been paying attention to anything you send out. They haven't been clicking your emails or reading them or anything. So you unsub these people, you send out an email that says, hey, it looks like you haven't really engaged with us in a while. Here's why we're awesome and click this button to resubscribe to our list, right? To keep okay. getting emails from us. So that was like the classic re-engagement email. The second one they did was a little bit of that, but more heavily focused on the fact that the reason why they had to send this email out is because of this new Canadian anti-spam That we're respecting. Right. All right, so the results of this email re-engagement campaign are the first version, which is basically just the value-only sort of classic re-engagement email, uh, had a 5.9% click-through rate, meaning 5.9% of people re-engaged, right, re-signed up for the list. The second version, which more heavily focused on the being real, is how I'm going to put it, that's the being real version, had an 8.8% click-through rate. Real, real. Right, so relative change there, 49.82%, more people engaged with a more being real email. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was just a small case study slash example, which got me thinking about being more real and marketing and how I think it works really well. It's not, I think, I know it works really well in several industries. I've tested these sorts of approaches in AdWords ads or on landing pages. Sometimes the industries you're in talk to in roundabout ways about what they offer and what they give because they don't really have good deals. And if you are just more direct about what you have and how much it actually costs and you're upfront about some of those things, oftentimes those things can blow everybody else out of the water. Yeah. Just because, look, no one else is saying how much this damn thing costs and you did. So I'll buy right. from you. I understand. It's it's upfront. It's clear. Sure. So I just wanted to talk about that approach and just sort of throw out that simple case study. Which well, in our normal fashion too of scrutinizing studies, mm-hmm. one of the concerns that I have with this is, and they don't publish it here, is the difference in open rates that potentially cause that click-through rate. So if you look at these emails, one thing that's actually striking 
is they begin differently. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring that up is for a lot of email clients, they'll start pulling in the first couple of sentences of the email as they're displaying it. And if you look at these two emails, one starts off as we at marketing experiments, there are many ways, blah, 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 blah really boring. The second one, which performed much better, new Canadian anti-spam legislation may prevent you that to me, especially if I'm a marketer subscribing to marketing experiments, might actually catch my eye a little bit more. So yes, they're being more direct, but there's also some changes to the email that might have influenced some different open behaviors, which might have also resulted in some better click-through rates as well that aren't really documented here. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I agree. Like the directness with me really works. I have a limited time in my life. I'm busy. And I don't have time chasing things around. In fact, going back to that client we were talking about earlier on, that's always something that we've seen good results with in his industry. He works in one of those classic industries where it's pricing's a little bit vague. Why don't you call us and we'll kind of work a deal? That sort of stuff pisses me off. And I think it pisses off a lot of people. And I think what he's seen uh, is some really good results in being a little bit more direct. You might turn off some people Mm -hmm. with being direct, but that's part of that qualifying part of your marketing. You know, more than likely, you were going to turn those people off at some point. Yes, you might have recouped some, but at what human time cost of employing people or tying up a sales agent, things like that. And I feel like that more people should actually be direct because they can really save themselves some time in qualifying those leads. And you know, people walking in the door are generally more interested and farther along the sales process than probably you find in other situations. Yes, you might have less coming in the door, but you're spending less time on them. So you can dedicate more resources and let's test a new strategy or let's focus on a different product or a whole host of other things. So definitely a more fan of direct. And I think that's sort of where the industry is going, but I think it's slowly getting there. Yeah, I mean, it's always been that sort of balancing act. Not as much recently with AdWords ads because there's so many other factors that are involved. But classically in AdWords ads, that was always the balancing act is, you know, I have to combine, I want those clicks, right? Right. But at the same time, I don't want a bunch of unqualified clicks. Right. And I'm also paying based on my click-through rate. So Mm -hmm. it's... You know, I have to have ads that people want to click on, but I don't want a bunch of people who I don't want clicking on my ads to do so. So it's this weird balancing act of where do you try to start qualifying people while also getting enough people in the door Mm -hmm. and maybe converting some of those people who maybe don't immediately qualify and getting them into longer sales funnels. And Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of other approaches there. But I just really, in my mind, like I said, in life and love and marketing, being more direct I just, to me, I feel like it applies better to guys like you and I, to the younger generations who have a million different devices and distractions going on. Tell me what the hell you're talking about, or I'm not going to listen or pay attention. Sure. It's it's definitely an interesting case study. I mean, there are some caveats to it that you need to pay attention with, but we'll tweet out a link for you to check it out. But an interesting learning for this week. Let's wrap it up. Mountain View. Let's go to Google. What is going down? Quickly this week. So one of the things that we haven't covered in the last couple of episodes, we just ran short on time, but has happened over the last couple of weeks. Google has rolled out website call conversions. Now, if you've paid attention in the space, you might go, hey, Corey, they've had call tracking for a while. You idiot. Yeah, you idiot. Well, actually, this is a bit different in that Google is rolling out a service to actually dynamically change the numbers on your very own site to track said conversions. So in the past, you could opt to have a Google phone number 
in your PPC ads directly, which then they would report on based on how long people have called in, a whole host of other things. They're taking that one step further and saying, here is a service that you can actually put on your site that will look for and dynamically change your phone numbers on your site so we can peep on those people that came from PPC and called you, which gets at the heart of one of those questions I challenged you with this week. Are you really tracking what's happening in your marketing? Having said all that, it's a great service. I'm glad that they're rolling out. I would say as a business, if you're really interested in this, go with someone else. As much (laughs) as I love Google, I think that as a company, you should be tracking not only what's happening in PPC, but everywhere else. And there are a whole host of solutions out there to track all of the phone calls coming into your business. Yes, it can be a data overload, but that can be easily solved by creating filters, things like that. I mentioned CallRail in the past. There's LogMyCalls. There's quite a few providers out there that can help solve that. I'm glad that Google's going down this route. They're a little late to the game. And there's some other providers out there that can help you understand not only what's happening in your PPC campaigns, but let's say you do a postcard blast or you do direct mail or you have affiliate links out there. You can actually get call tracking based on a whole host of those things with these easy to use clients out there. I think most people would be supremely surprised how easy it is to set up. Give people like CallRail a chance, can really give you an eye into what's happening. If phone numbers are a big deal on your site and a contact method that people use, give that a chance. But Google has their own. So if that's all you're really interested in, that's what you want to do, then by all means, go for it. So just be aware that Google actually has website call tracking, not just ad tracking now. Last thing I want to talk about, and I don't think we'll spend too much time, but I think some of the businesses that we deal with do market a little bit on YouTube. We've talked about actually recently on the podcast, the power of video as a marketer and as a business. And YouTube can be an interesting outlet for that marketing effort. You know, there's a lot of things to consider there, pros and cons, but it is a market out there. And two of the things I wanted to bring up as interesting potential revenue streams and or just business decisions for people out there is one, Google is starting to test and rolling out with some beta invites, the ability to donate within YouTube channels. So you can produce content. I already uh, do some of that. I just clicked the ads. (laughs) Right. So, but they have direct integrations to actually donating to the video producer, which might be an interesting route for some businesses to take, depending on what your niche is, especially if you work maybe in the nonprofit space or, you know, some of the ones where you have a a really strong tie in to your audience, very passionate audience base that maybe can't afford your service or product or want to support you in a different way. That can be an option. I know that some people still aren't aware, but YouTube also is rolling out paid channels as well. So you can actually have pay gates in front of your YouTube content that people actually need to subscribe to and pay for, similar to Netflix and Hulu Plus, I believe, is their service. Mm -hmm. That might be, again, something to consider as a business for an alternate revenue stream. Maybe you do some interesting video content or you want to use that as an upsell item for products that you might sell or services whether that is enhanced support or monthly training videos that you maybe want to charge people for. YouTube is starting to play around with a lot of different aspects of its service and it might alter what you would plan for as a business. So definitely worth keeping in contact if video is something that you do or maybe it's something you don't do because it hasn't been really relevant to post free videos to everyone. That sort of formula is starting to change. So maybe something to pay attention to. That's gonna do it for us on episode number 76. 
Thank you so much for your time. That was an amazing one. I mean, we covered the gamut, let me tell you. If you enjoyed yourself, please share with a friend, a colleague, or as Rob would say, a lover perhaps. Also, if you'd leave us a review, that would be great on whatever channel you found us on. Helps us grow the show and the audience, but also learn on what we need to potentially change or what we're doing great. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you're struggling with something you think, those bearded guys are pretty smart. I wonder what they'd have to say about this. You can leave us a line at thebeardmarketers.com slash contact, or you can give us a call at 904-270-9603. That's right, your own Bearded Marketers hotline. Direct to my 24/7, pocket. 24-7, direct to Rob's pocket. Or you can actually send a text if you're socially adverse, which I can understand. I can understand that. I'm pretty intimidating. The, you know, the beard and all, so... <laughs> It's also not necessarily if you just have an idea for the show. Maybe you're struggling with something and we can potentially help out or put you into contact with someone that can. Maybe the boss is yelling at you and don't really know where to turn. Give us a call. We might can help you out. Again, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for your time and we'll see you next week. Gio. Gio.